Let us behold God's living word by turning to Psalm 67. That's page 481 in the Bible in the seat back in front of you. Life is full of opportunities for us to grow in our understanding of certain things, really in all things. We start out knowing not much, and then we grow in every area of life that we touch. I remember uh, the day that I saw my firstborn son for the very first time. He came out of the womb with this beautiful little cone head, uh, and all the books I read about fatherhood, all the prayers prayed, all the people who discipled me about the task I was about to enter into could not prepare me for that moment. And I realized in that moment, I have no idea what I am doing. None. Now, 10 years in, and I have three children, know them, I'm growing in love daily for them. The scriptures have been made more evident to me about what fatherhood is. I've heard better instruction or more instruction about what my role is as a father, and I am growing in my understanding of fatherhood. Uh, beloved, the church is no different. That's why we're going through this series. We are growing in our understanding of what the church is and God's beautiful design for the church. And tucked in side of God's beautiful design for the church is his plan for the nations. And that's why we've titled this sermon, Mission of the Body, as we continue this series. I want to say it another way. We run the risk uh, of not understanding fully yet the purpose of God's plan for the nation. And that's probably true of all of us. We probably haven't reached completion or full maturity in our understanding of God's plan for the nations. And so our, our hope is that this text would be a deep encouragement to us to have a better understanding of how God plans to utilize his church, his body, to bring the good news to the nations. Our God is very charitable. He is a gracious God. He is a loving God. And he allows us to participate in this plan. He lets us to come play with him in this redemptive story. It's quite amazing because we don't deserve to be invited to the party, yet he allows us to participate in it. So for serving, if we are going to be a healthy church, a biblical church, then he has invited us to participate with him in the reaching of the nations for the praise of his name. And that is a joyous thing to be a part of. If you have your Bibles, please look with me in Psalm 67, and I will read this word over you today. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for, the ju for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Central to considering the character of God in this psalm is recognizing this. God blesses his people so that his people will be a blessing to all nations. I'm going to say that again. God blesses his people so that his people will be a blessing to all nations. Now, a few questions that I want us to consider today before we get into the bulwark of this text. Most of us would recognize or most of us would agree that God wants us to be a part of the Great Commission. He wants us to take the gospel to the nations. We agree with that. We also agree that he is worthy of the praise of the nations. But do we understand truly our role in this cause? Do we understand God's purpose for his people in bringing about a people for himself from all tribes, nations, and tongues? Do we understand this? Uh, The second question I have, do our hearts and our prayers align with the psalmist, the prayer that we just read? Do our prayers align with this? Are we praying to be blessed so that we would be a blessing? I know that we have zeal for the nations to be saved, but what are we doing for it? We know that God is worthy to be praised, but how we are how are we ourselves praising God and living a life that God deserves because of he because of his glory? And then maybe the last question I would pose before us today, what keeps us from participating in the spread of the gospel? Is it a lack of joy? For the God who has saved us? It's an honest question, one we must consider. Is there a fear of man that we have? Uh, Have we simply let time get away from us and we're just too busy? Do we feel ill-equipped? Or perhaps we just don't even realize that God has saved us in order to use us. And so we want to consider these things today. This is what I want you to know. God wants to be made known. God wants to be praised. God wants to be feared in all four corners of the earth. All four corners of the earth. And if we're going to be a faithful church, we want to have our affections align with these affections that we see in Psalm 67. Now, the context of this psalm is a prayer that Israel is praying. It's a missionary prayer for the nations to come to know God to praise him and to be glad with him and rejoice and fear him. And so as we work through this text, I want us to notice that the prayer Israel is making aligns with God's desires. So their affections for God to be blessed aligns with God's desires. They want the nations to come to know God. And so... First Irving, do our affections align with the affections of Israel here? Do they align with the affections of God? It's a good question for us to wrestle through this morning in our own hearts. So there's two ways that God works to bring about a people for himself from all nations. So there's kind of two points today. The first is this, God blesses his people. God blesses his people. That will be the first point. And the second point is this. God purposes his people, those whom he has blessed, to be a blessing to the nations. So those are the two points today. The first point we'll find in verse 1. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So this is where we get this first point. God blesses his people. Now the psalmist here is referencing the Aaronic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. After Israel had been delivered out of Egypt and the law had been given to Moses who gave the law to Israel, uh, God told Moses to tell Aaron, the priest, his brother, to say a blessing over the people of Israel before they were enter, to enter into the promised land. And we find this blessing in number 6, verses 22 through 27, and I'll read it over you today. He said, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying thus, you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. He is their keeper. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the reason this is given to them is found in verse 27 that says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, God says, and I will bless them. The ironic blessing is stated here in Psalm 67, verse 1, with some, some slight variations that you might have seen. But it's no doubt that the psalmist has the ironic blessing in his mind, that blessing from Numbers 6. Instead of using the pronoun you, like Aaron the priest did, the people of Israel are now saying us. Would you be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us? So it's slightly different. And it's such an important prayer that they're sending forward that the psalmist puts a musical directive there in the margin. Do you see that little word, Selah? We don't exactly know what that word means, but we think it means to consider to pause and to meditate on what has just been said. Stop and go back and consider what we are to pray. God, be gracious to us. God, bless us. Make your face to shine upon us and think about that. Don't move past that too quickly. So, so what does it mean when the psalmist prays for the Lord to be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us? Well, these three petitions are important petitions, and I want them to be applications for us. But notice what they're saying. When they say be gracious to us, they're recognizing that God is the source of all blessing. And the basis of that blessing is the grace that God provides we do not deserve what God gives to us. And Israel recognizes this. Uh, we do not deserve what God gives to us. Even the sweet, gentle disciplines of the Lord that admonish us, we are undeserving of it. We are very much deserving of the things that he keeps from us. Judgment and wrath. But I do want us to notice Israel's humility Required to utter such a phrase. Be gracious to us means God extend your grace to us. We are in need of grace. We recognize that we are dependent upon you. This is an admission that they need God. Be gracious to us. Then they say bless us. In number six, in that verse 27, God talks about how he assigns the blessing to Israel based on the giving of his name. 
So when we see Israel ask for blessing, it's because they are a people that God has set apart and he has attached, he has sown his name upon these people. And because they have recognized this, this is a part of the blessing that they have been given, he is now asking Israel to pray for the very thing that he's going to accomplish. You are a blessing and pray that I will continue to bless you. There are people set apart. There are people favored by God. And this includes God's protection as they enter the promised land, God's favor, God's grace, God's approval, God's mercy. Oh, bless us. Your name is attached to us, and we want you to continue to bless us. And then, he's, then they say, Finally, in this third position, make your face to shine upon us. This implies that the glory of God shown in the face of God will be directed towards his people. Now, on one hand, we recognize that no one can see the face of God and live. We see this in Exodus 33, verse 20. But this expression simply means he will not keep his face hidden for his, or his glory in the dark. But he favors his people, and he wants his people to know him and he wants to know his people. He wants to have fellowship with his people. They're saying, would you make your face to shine upon us? God, would you smile towards us? Would you teach us who you are? Write your name on our foreheads. Write your name on our hearts. Don't keep the wonders of your name from us or your promises or your glorious covenants. Make your face to shine upon us. Be warm to us and care for us, O Lord. This is what they are praying. This is what they are singing. Now, in thinking about the greatness of God's grace, God's blessing, and God's approval, this is what Charles Spurgeon said about this, these three petitions. He said, these three petitions include all that we need here or hereafter. We need the grace of God. We need God's name upon us. And we want God's face to shine upon us as we walk with him. Now, this is the blessing that they are praying for, the deep blessing of knowing God, but God also provides monetarily for them. Look with me in verse six. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God also provides for his people in basic needs. And this psalm was probably written during the harvest season. And God is blessing Israel and the nations are taking note of God's kindness towards Israel. Uh, we see that God does make promises to his people like uh, Luke 12 comes to mind. That uh, he loves the ravens of the air, but how much more does he love the sons of men? He gives them food. How much more does he provide for our needs? Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6 that we are to ask God to provide daily sustenance for us. Give us this day our daily bread. And God loves to provide for his people. He loves to provide for his people. And they're recognizing this here in this psalm. But the greatest provision for his people is God himself. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Making himself known to his people. This is where the prosperity gospel of our day gets it totally wrong. There are blessings that we get from God, whether it be healing or whether it be um, 
bless, uh, food or a house to, to live in or whatever it may be. But the gifts that God gives is never to be put over the gift itself. Because he is the great gift given to his people. Jesus says in Mark 8, verse 36, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet he forfeits his soul? Give us God. He is the greater blessing. And this is what Israel is praying. I love watching home videos. Maybe you do too. And I love watching home videos from my past. And I love watching Christmas videos. Uh, Sometimes I go back and I remember gifts that I was given. And I'm like, oh my goodness, in that season, that's all I wanted was that. And I forgot about that. Uh, but you know who I, what I didn't forget is the one who had given it to me, my parents, right? In certain seasons, we want the gifts. But what Israel is praying is for the gift, who is God. Do you want God? Do you want to know God? The living God. I love what J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. Once you became aware that the main business that you are here, uh, excuse me, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. That is why we are here. And Israel understood this during the singing of this psalm, Psalm 67, to know God. Now, if we were to end at that truth that God wants to bless us through relationship with him, we would have ended at a place that is fully true, but yet also incomplete. Incomplete. So we want to grow in our understanding of the rich, full plan of God for the nation. So look with me in verse 2. Why does the psalmist pray this? It says that you may... Be known on earth. You're saving power among all nations. Beloved, there is more that God is doing with our own individual salvations. He is using us to be a blessing to the nations that don't know that there is a God to be worshipped and praised. Do you see that that in the scripture in verse 2? I I would circle that. I would highlight that. Uh, If we need to have shirts that just say that, period, that's a mission philosophy. Lord, would you bless us and keep us that your way would be known on the earth. So the second way that God is working to bring about a people for himself is number two, God purposes his people to bless the nations so that God would be made known on the earth. That's God's saving power would reach every tribe, nation, and tongue. Have you ever thought about your salvation in that regard? That you have been saved, you have been blessed, so that you would be a blessing, so that God would use you to include others into the kingdom of God. Look with me in verses three through five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For the judge, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is the most important part of this psalm. God blesses his people for the purpose of his praise among the nations. That is part of the reason we have been saved, so that we would be a blessing. So God blesses Israel so that God's ways are made known to the Gentiles. That's what they're 
praying. Now, I want to root us in what the psalm is, psalmist is thinking here. Uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he, he tells Abraham that he is going to be a blessing to the nations. And this prayer in Psalm 67 is a prayer realizing that this is the covenant promise. They know that this is true, that God's going to bless Israel and then bless the nations. This is an unconditional covenant uh, that, that God has made with Abraham, which means he's bringing another party into it, but he's going to use uh, Abraham uh, to be a blessing, but God himself is going to be the one that brings this to pass. Abraham isn't going to be able to do this on his own. So this is what Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, just as a simple reminder. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, God says, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. They will be blessed, Israel. They will be a blessing, and God is going to specifically use Abraham to carry this mission out. Now, I, I want to kind of step back for a second and consider some biblical theology for a moment. And that's for us to connect how God is operating inside of the scriptures to reveal that his plan from the beginning was to save the nations. It's not a new plan in the New Testament after Jesus came. It is the plan from long ago. So God uses Israel as a means to draw the nations to himself. And that was made there in Genesis chapter 12. And it continues with Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. All the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, Isaac. Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, your offspring will be spread uh, toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. The law was given to Israel and it's superior to all other laws. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, we see that Israel miraculously conquers the promised land and pagans like Rahab are saved because they see that God is uncommon. Uh, we see that King Solomon's wisdom made uh, may Queen uh, of Sheba, the Queen of Sheba praise God, First uh, Kings chapter 10. King Nebuchadnezzar admits that no God exists like the God of Israel who miraculously delivers, Daniel chapter 3. His prophecies throughout the prophets uh, is that he will gather people from east to west, north to south, as found both in Isaiah 43 and Ezekiel 36. Uh, we can't help but to see Isaiah 40. There's going to be a voice that cries out in the wilderness, make straight the pathway of the Lord. And that's fulfilled in John the Baptist, who introduces us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we see that a prophecy is made in Hosea 1 that there's going to be a son that comes out of Israel just like the people did. They came, or, uh, they came out of Egypt just like the people of Israel did. They were rescued out of Egypt. And we see in Matthew 2 that Jesus is the one that came out of Egypt to save and deliver the people. He's a new Israel. He's a better Israel. 
He's an Israel that is going to be able to complete this covenant promise. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have no other sheep, or I, excuse me, I have other sheep, not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the Greeks. Luke 24, Christ would be proclaimed to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 28, Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all of us would know who this new Israel, Messiah, Jesus, would be. Paul then takes this good news to the Gentiles and he, and he laps over again these three missionary journeys. We see in Romans chapter 11 that uh, the Greeks are grafted into Israel and we're a part of it. And the gospel has actually gone out to the nations. We see in Ephesians chapter 2 that there's one king whose name is Jesus. And he makes one man for himself from people from all different tribes, nations, and tongues. And he forges a people for himself. We see in Revelation chapter 7 that the multitudes, the nations are gathered around the throne of God worshiping the Lamb. Genesis 12, all the way to Revelation 7, the plan all along was for God to save a people. Now, Israel was unable to accomplish that, though they were longing for it in Psalms like this one, in Psalm 67. But a new Israel came. A new promise came. And anyone who believes in this Messiah, turns from their sins, they will be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. That's why we look at passages like Galatians 3, verse 8. It says, The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. You ever thought about that? That the gospel went to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. The good news that the nations would be saved. This has always been the plan of God. This is the good news that the nations are not without hope. Jesus is the king we praise because Jesus is the Messiah, God the Son, who has been given to a people. And now we seek the praise that is rightly due his name. This is why we participate in missions because Christ is worthy of the praise. That's the primary reason we go to the nations, is he is worthy of this. Now, beloved, the church's responsibility today is no different than that of uh, what Israel is participating in. Our salvation is not disconnected to the mission of God. When Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations, it's like Genesis 12 and the missional effort of Psalm 67 were extended to his people. This is our glorious stewardship that we get to participate in this amazing covenant promise that was made to Abraham that we both benefit from in our own salvation and that we both, and then we also take to the nation so that they would be saved. Oftentimes our salvation is looked at as a responsibility that we have to go to the nations. But have you ever thought in just reflection that you are actually a fulfillment of the promise? Uh, so I know most of us are citizens of America. 
We're all American. But if you were to dig into my ancestry, I'm, I'm Scottish. You couldn't tell by my size. Uh, I, I'm English, and I'm also Cherokee Indian, uh, of all things. That's what we, that's what we know. And, I, and if I were to ask you the very same things, you would probably say, I'm you know, this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. The proof that God's word is true is represented in this room as we are manifested together, the nations brought together under one Christ. It's pretty remarkable. It's pretty remarkable that the greatest apologetic we have of God's word being true is manifested in this room. What a blessing that he has worked in order that we would be saved. Now, this is hard for us to grasp at times because he's allowed us to participate in this. And oftentimes, we think the end of our salvation or our salvation is the end of our responsibility. Well, I've done my part. I've trusted in Christ. I'm now just sitting and waiting to go to heaven. But there is a work to be done because there are many who are in the nations right now that have no idea of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the only God who saves. They have no idea about Christ. They have no idea what Christ has done for them. I hope there is a burning desire in our bellies to not only praise this God, but also take this glorious message to the nations. We will not be a faithful church if we do not do this. God's brilliance, his kindness, his design is for his people to be a conduit to the nations as we herald this glorious gospel. And here's the beautiful thing. We get all the covenant blessings that were promised to Abraham, that were promised to David, that Christ has given to us in complete, full satisfaction. We're not partially admitted, fully admitted as those who have been grafted in. So there's, a, there's four things that I want us to see about God in this text today. Four things that he reveals about himself that brings forth praise from the nations. First is found in verse two. His mission is to be made known. Look with me in verse two again. That your way would be made known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This includes the salvation that is only found in Jesus. There is, in fact, no other salvation out there. Salvation belongs to our God, not another God, our God. Our God is the possessor of salvation. And remember what we talked about in Colossians? It's no longer hidden anymore. The mystery that was hidden for a time has now been revealed in Christ Jesus. And so that's where we take this, this out, this, this, this word out. As has already been mentioned, the desire of God is for the nations to know him. Now I want us to think about this. The nations then observe God through the church. The, the nations, let me just say that again. The nations observe God through the church. Uh, how our faith is steadfast. 
what our faith is in. What are the things that we put our hope in? How do we love one another? Remember, uh, the world will know that you're my disciples based on how you love one another. That's what Jesus says. Based on our humility, based on our willingness to serve, based on our willingness to listen, based on our willingness to care. He has set us apart to operate this way. To, to allow the nations to see that we are a set-apart people, a different people. Beloved, he wants to rescue the nations from their idolatry. He wants to rescue the nations from their lawless trespasses. He wants to rescue the nations from their ignorance. And there's only one way to rescue the nations. There's only one name and it's a name that's above every name by which men can be saved. And so we first get to benefit from this relationship and then we have responsibilities to take this message to the nations. And by the way, it is the greatest message. It is the only message that can deliver hope to a human soul. It is the only message that can set someone who is captive free. And so our gracious God, he forgives our trespasses and then he allows us to go and herald that your trespasses can be forgiven as well as you've turned to Christ. Walk by faith, not by sight. Turn to him and be saved forever. He's a merciful God who does this. Another thing we see about God's character is he's worthy to be praised. Look with me in verses three and five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Five says the exact same thing. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is called an inclusio inside of Hebrew poetry. And it's trying to draw out a truth that's, that's in the middle of it. And, and the truth that is on the bookend of this inclusio, the verses three and verses five is simply this, that he's worthy of all praise. Uh, he has made all human beings in his image. And then those who have been made in his image ought to be the ones who praise the one who made him. That's why we see in Roman, or excuse me, in Revelation 7, this winding path that ends at the throne of King Jesus, who is receiving all praise from all corners of the world. He is worthy to be praised. Number three, his desire is to be enjoyed. Look with me in verse four. This is the heart of that inclusio. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. He wants them to be glad. He wants the nations to be happy, to be glad, to sing with joy. So often we think of God as just a judge. But he wants the nations to be glad. He wants the nations to rejoice. In fact, Psalm 70 verse 4 says, God wants to know all people and he wants all people to know him and be glad. Gladness is found in only knowing God. Oftentimes we don't proclaim God because we do not enjoy God. Oftentimes we do not proclaim God because we do not enjoy God. A God that you enjoy is a God that you proclaim. A God that you do not enjoy is a God that you oftentimes do not share. 
And so we are to sit back and to remember this wonderful salvation that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And then notice notice with me that the nations are glad and sing for joy because God rules them or God judges them or, or God guides them. He has dominion over all of creation and his ways transcend all cultures throughout the earth. So it's a good thing for people to know who God is. God knows that the, the revelation of himself is the only thing that brings rejoicing. The only thing that brings gladness. And he's telling the nations that I want you uh, to be glad. And, for, and he's going to judge the peoples with equity. He's going to guide the nations with his kind, gentle, shepherding hand. That term judge here does not specifically mean that he's here to just pass a bunch of judgment on the nations right now. But rather that he will one day put everything to rights. Everything that is wrong, God will make right. Think of all the nations in your mind right now. All all, all the people who are suffering under dictators, all the people who are struggling to get bread, people who have been separated by their families, God will one day Come and judge and make all things right. And this is to make people glad and rejoice. And then he sends his church into these nations to tell the church, there is a judge who is coming. And this judge is going to make all things right. And this judge isn't going to just make things right. Look, he guides the nations upon the earth. Like a gentle shepherd, he bends them towards paths of righteousness. If you remember Psalm 23, this is the very character of our God. He guides us to paths of righteousness. Why? For his namesake. So God's glory is our good, and it's the good of the nations. And we see his glory is to be feared. Verse 7, God is worthy to be honored and revered. He's worthy of praise from every man. He is the universal king, and he has sent out universal care to all peoples. I really hope that we understand that the way that God cares for the nations is through his people. I hope hope that sinks in and roots into our church family's heart. His praise is our concern His glory is our motivation. His fear, a fear of the Lord is our balm. Because we get to rest in who God is and what God has done. This is good. This is good news. If we are to be honest, we have to remember that God really does not need us. He invites us to participate with him. Do you remember what it says in Acts 17, 25? For God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. But it's an extension of his mercy not only to save us, but then to use us for his glory. Any understanding of the gospel that concludes with us just being saved, and that's it, is at best the, is an incomplete gospel. Gospel saves us to be a, a blessing, a, a proclaimer to the nations, okay? So 
We have to think, we have to be convinced in our body that Christ is worthy to be praised. That he's worthy to be worshipped. That this is actually why he has saved us partially. Only for, yes, for his own, his own enjoyment and for our good, but also for the nations. We must be convinced of this. As Israel was convinced of it, he is, they're praying, yes, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face to shine upon us. They're convinced of it so that they would be a blessing to the nations. Are we convinced of it, church family? Are we convinced of it? Well, how do we respond today? Last five minutes, things for us to consider. First, we are called to praise God. Ourselves, we're called to praise him for what he's done for us. We're called to praise him for who he is in his perfect nature and character. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let the praise let, uh, let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. This is our God. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures in all deeps. Fire and hail. Snow and mist. Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills. Fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock. Creeping things and all flying birds. King of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maiden together. Old men and children. Let the praise uh, let them praise the name of the lord for his name alone is exalted his majesty is above the earth now it's to us in verse 14 he has raised up a horn for his people praise for all his saints for the people of israel who are near to him praise the lord we praise the lord this is our god who has saved us and made us his people number 2 We're called to be priests. We're called to be priests. We see, as Justin read for us, as we began our time today, we're a a, a, a nation set apart, a royal priesthood sent here to proclaim his excellencies. And part of the priestly work we're called to do is to pray. Do we pray for the nations as Israel is praying for the nations? Do we ask, when's the last time that you ask God to bless you and not just for yourself, but that others would be blessed, that the nations who are lost would be blessed? Let's add that to our daily prayer. God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us so that the nations would know your ways. Do you pray for open doors? Remember we talked about this in Colossians. Only God opens doors. Has that already petered out? Did we do it for a couple of weeks? Pray for God to open doors to the nations. Is your your prayer life fitting with the grand narrative of redemptive history, of the redemptive story? Or is it self-centered? Or is it only on the church? Which is a good thing. We want to pray for our church. But how often do we pray for the lost? 
How often do we pray for the lost? This should be found in our individual prayers. This should be found in our family prayers. We should be teaching our children how to pray for the nations. It should be more, um, more practice even in our corporate prayers. This is an area that we would probably need to grow. And in, if it's the case that we don't pray these things, it's okay. We must confess that we don't pray for these things. We must recognize that there's apathy in our hearts. We, we, we must recognize that there's things in us that don't really consider the nations. We must confess these things, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When's the last time we've asked the Lord to, to renew our hearts for the lost? Number three, we're called to be proclaimers of God's word. We're priests, but we're proclaimers of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. We speak the gospel. That's how people are saved. Psalm 96 says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. This is God's plan. He's invited the church to be a part of it. We must we must proclaim his glorious word. Fourth, we are called to participate. We are not separated from the world. We are set apart from the world, but we're not separated from the world. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your coworkers, your, your family members who are lost and will spend eternity apart from God if the gospel does not reach their hearts? It ought to be a way of life for us. Yes, we take the gospel to evangelism uh, gatherings where we go to house to house and door to door. Yes, we raise up missionaries and we send them out. Yes, we send out church plants. I hope we do all of this a thousand times over in the years ahead here. But it ought to be a way of life for us to participate. Jesus said in John chapter 20, I have been sent to you and now I send you out. We, have, we are the sent ones now. We are to proclaim this. So let's consider this. Let's ponder this in prayer today. And then we'll have a time of response. Father, we are thankful that you saved us and that you blessed us, Lord. And that you're making your face to shine upon us in fellowship Lord, would you forgive us where our hearts are not, not beating for the nations? God, we ought to be motivated by your great love for us. And that should motivate our love for those that don't have the gospel right now. God, please work amongst First Irving in the days ahead, in the years ahead, to be a faithful church who takes the gospel to the nations. We pray all of this in Christ, who is the only name by which men can be saved. Amen.